My Seven Chakras, episode 91. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My Seven Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, action takers? AJ here, your host, your friend, your coach, and your action enabler. Now, before we begin today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about accountability. Now, this is truly a powerful force, action takers. And the reason why accountability is so powerful is because it compels you to take action. Now, I'm a part of a weekly mastermind group where I meet like-minded individuals, share my vision and the goals that I am currently working on every single week. The benefit of having someone know your goals and provide you feedback is incredible right for example when i share a goal that isn't in line with my yearly or monthly vision my friends will call me out saying aj why are you focusing on this goal completing that goal wouldn't really get you closer to your vision and that's when i have this little aha moment and i set another goal right that is more in tune with my vision and knowing that i have someone to report my achievements to at the end of the week to my mastermind group that makes me push harder drive harder and achieve my goal no matter what. And today it is your turn to allow me to hold you accountable. So tell me what is your goal? What are your visions? And what is your single biggest frustration or passion when it comes to health and wellness? Do you want to learn meditation, yoga, chakra healing, Reiki, whatever it is, make sure you share your thoughts with me. We're going to do it through a small survey. I read all of your entries and also I'll use this info that I received to get you the information that will help you heal and transform your life. Sound like a plan? All right. Now to take part, all you have to do is visit my S-E-V-E-N-C-H-A-K-R-A-S.com slash survey. That's my seven chakras.com slash survey. And action takers, we have finally come to the moment when I bring you our featured guest for today, Sarah Thomas Golden. So Sarah, are you ready to inspire? I am. Awesome. So with childhood passions for both writing and yoga, Sarah's interests grew to include studies in Tantra, Tarot, Astrology, Reiki, and Ayurveda. In addition to yoga and chakra coaching sessions around LA, Sarah has led numerous stateside and international retreats as well. So Sarah, that was a short bio for our listeners, but feel free to take a minute and tell us a bit more about you. Sure. I am currently living in Topanga, California with my family, my three cats, my dog, and even my mom. And uh, I'm a yoga teacher most of the time. It's, I, I lead yoga classes in Yoga Works and Yoga Desa in Topanga. But I also do you know individual chakra counselings and tarot readings and private lessons and lead workshops and wellness retreats. I love nature and I love living in Topanga because there's nature all around me. And I love the spiritual path of yoga beyond just the asana poses. I, uh, the spiritual journey of that is what my whole life is centered around. 
Well, thanks a lot for that intro. I love nature too. And that's why I live in Vancouver, where we have the beautiful oceans. We have got the mountains, we've got trees, rainforests, and all of that wonderful, good stuff. And I love yoga. And some of the best yoga classes that I've been to usually start with an inspirational quote, followed by a few moments of silence. And that's the same kind of experience that we normally aim for in each and every of our episodes. So Sarah, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us one example of how you apply this quote in your You know, I think you said it by saying that you give the quote and then give a pause beginning of yoga classes because the quote I love is from Viktor Frankl. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I think the power of space and pausing instead of living in a kind of automaton stimulus response, recognizing that, giving that little bit of a space to things and then speaking from that is perhaps the biggest power in the universe. Mm -hmm. I think there's no greater freedom and choice than just found in a little bit of space. Wonderful. Space, pause, and choice. And I think that's really, really powerful because A, you just taught us that it's important to sometimes just take a break, sometimes just take a pause, introspect, analyze, and look back at your wonderful memories, the times that you've shared and the moments that you've shared with people, and also realize that whatever's going to happen in the future, first of all, the reason why you're here is because some choice or some combination of choices that you've made, and you can also change your life because of that same independence, that choice that you have to not stay where you are, but to move ahead and make a transformation in your life. So thanks a lot for sharing. You're welcome. Wonderful. Now, let's begin. What inspired you to write your book, Balancing the Wheels? My interest in chakras has really been my whole life. I, As a child, and even in yoga, my mother took me to classes in yoga uh, in Harvard Square in the 70s as a little girl. And I've always been interested in it. It just always, um, the mythology, the symbolisms, the stories of yoga and its related sciences have just always kind of drawn me in. As I became a yoga teacher, I've always used chakras in my classes. I often will just set up a one chakra per class and we will go really deeply into that and then go into the next and the next. But I learned through being a yoga teacher, there's only so much you can say when somebody's standing on one foot. <laughs> there's... <laughs> They're there and you can kind of give them a tip or so. But I had to like really kind of rein it in what the things that I say and just put in a little tip here and there. So it occurred to me that as a gift to my students, I could put this all in one compact place where if they liked my classes, if they liked what I told them, I could give them something they could take home and use on a deeper level. The, the two things could really complement each other. Wonderful. So you spoke about the symbolism, the mythology, the history involved with the chakras yes. because it has literally been there for thousands of years since ancient times and you took time to teach your students chakras one chakra at a time during those yoga classes but then you realized very truly that there's only so much you can teach about the chakras during those classes you wanted your students to have some time back at home while having their tea or just relaxing and learning chakras as well and that's how you wrote the book and it was like a gift to your own students is that correct That is absolutely yes. Wonderful. Now, before moving on, for the benefit of our audience, could you provide us an overview of the seven chakras? Sure. First chakra is the earth chakra. It is the our connection with where we came from and it is grounding. Mm -hmm. When it's unbalanced, we feel unsafe. We feel like 
concerned about basic survival and skills and needs. So the second chakra becomes, after we get our physical needs met in the first one, the second one becomes water and our emotional needs. So the need for relationships, for friendships, for feelings needs to be balanced next. And that's a very watery kind of experience. Mm -hmm. When we have that balance and that's there in our hips, it moves up to the solar plexus region of the body, which is our fire center. So when we have our, our physical needs, our emotional needs met, we say, but what about me? And this becomes the birth of the ego and the self and the drive and the ambitions we have in the world to get things done. And it's a lot of heat and power happens in that third chakra as we start to form an identity. And these are shared with all animals and to different degrees. Animals can share some of these as well. It's at the fourth chakra that we start to become uniquely human because the fourth chakra, after we have those basic needs, ego needs, emotional needs, physical needs, the heart chakra balances those lower ones with the higher ones, which will be about our imaginations and our intuitions and very just, you know, uniquely human things. The heart's there in the center to combine these two with compassion that we can understand the lower self through the wisdom and knowledge of the higher self. And we bridge these two with compassion and unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So then the chakras above, the throat chakra becomes the one of expressing, often usually just expressing the stuff from our heart chakra. In our culture now, which is tends to try to express all the time, we're always on our cell phones, we're always chatting. We rarely express what's really important and necessary and mean stuff to us, which is that heart. And that's the purpose of the fifth chakra, our voice to speak truth, mm -hmm. to speak what's real and important. When that one's balanced, we move up to the third eye, which becomes our deepest wisdom, our knowledge and our intuition, not the wisdom you get from books, but the deepest wisdom of things being balanced inside us, our eye that sees what is real and what is unreal mm -hmm. and can distinguish with that kind of um, cutting through of all the kind of illusions and ignorance. When that one's balanced... That leads to seventh chakra at the crown of our head, which is really this amazing balance of self and universe. Or sometimes people describe it as self with a small l s, and then the ultimate self. So it kind of breaks through all these, all the other chakras we were getting into, like balance left and right, male and female, mm -hmm. good and bad. Each one has their own little polarities. They all kind of explode in the seventh chakra. It becomes about real liberation and letting go of categories. An amazing thing, actually, I like to point out, though, with these seven chakras is that for many people, the seventh chakra can become imbalanced as well, where we are ungrounded. We start to live too much in just our spirit. Mm -hmm. It can lead to kind of, you know, religious fanaticism, to mania, to kind of crazy things if we're not grounded. So that the next step is actually to go back again to first chakra, back to the earth, back to what's real, and you ground yourself. So it's kind of a spirals of levels rather than just always up, I like to point out. Wonderful. I really, really loved your explanation. As you mentioned, it starts with the earth. It's all about grounding, the survival and the needs. And the way I'd like to imagine it is like when a person is born, when a child is born, the child wants to be grounded. Yes. The child just wants to survive, right? That's the main thing. As the child progresses, the child needs water, the child needs emotions, connections to the mother. Mm -hmm. So the second thing is about that connection to the mother. The third is all about the identity. The child is now an adolescent or maybe in high school or maybe between the 
ages of 28 23 going for goals is all about achievement all about fueling the ego and then the fourth uh, chakra is when the child becomes a man or a woman develops some wisdom some compassion for nature for the people around for the community does a lot of work maybe social work or what not and then once a person becomes wise a person wants to express it share that meaningful knowledge wisdom around the world whatever it is and help people truly and as you mentioned once a person is has expressed what is deep within his or her heart that's when the person gets that true wisdom the deep wisdom not wisdom learned from books or theoretic knowledge but wisdom out of sharing and learning as a result of that and then it's all about connection the spirit liberation letting go of all the categories because it's so amorphous right i mean the difference between chakra 1 and chakra 2 and 3 it's clear but 5 6 7 it becomes a little bit difficult to differentiate yes even in like in that i don't know if our listeners are familiar with the eight limbs of yoga but there's a similar thing where the first ones are easy to understand and then the last few ones become very specific little differences that just start to get those little last steps before the liberation and the full experience wonderful now let's take a couple of steps back mm-hmm. how did you first get exposed to the wisdom of the chakras do you remember how it all started I said I was a child. Um, <laughs> I feel like I have always had some sense of chakras. I really known them my whole life. I got more into them in my first yoga training with Alan Finger, who's a um Yogi Raj Alan Finger has a wonderful lineage of some of the great masters. Um Paramahansa Yogananda anointed his father into yoga and many other great leaders were touched in his upbringing. So he is and he had a very strong chakra based training for my yoga when I first went into teacher training that helped me understand how you could mm-hmm. use them in asana that you could divide the body into seven segments for the seven chakras and use them just in a very down to earth way and that felt down to earth to me to connect the first chakra with our legs and our feet for example mm-hmm. so that it is poses that balance the hamstrings when you strengthen your hamstrings and feel strong in your legs that will actually relieve anxieties you may have walking around if your legs aren't very strong you may just feel a little nervous right so balancing the actual body the legs will make you less nervous and that is an energetic quality of the first chakra as well to feel safe to feel strong right same with the hips that's the second chakra part of the body so we can have a lot of emotional responses to the functions of our hips that's where we have our sexuality our reproduction and elimination it's all very loaded for most of us and it can be very tight on a lot of us so hip opener poses I've seen students in my class where you go into a pigeon pose which is a very deep hip opening pose and they'll cry and they'll say it's not because it hurt right <laughs> they're not in pain they don't know why they're crying but it was an emotional release works like therapy you know to have that sometimes i've seen it you don't have to always go to therapy you can use hip openers to release some of this deep emotional stuff and that second chakra work each of them have an amazing you know physical response in the body like that Absolutely and just to add I think just by talking about the chakras by themselves sometimes it might come across as very abstract very esoteric and difficult to comprehend or understand but the moment you do yoga you feel it you see it in the physical form and then you sort of relate what you're doing the poses that you're doing the hip openers and what not to the knowledge of the chakras it makes much more sense and it sort of gets internalized within us Yes. I love that. And it always happens magically too that someone will come up to me after a class and say, "You know, I was having issues with my breathing and then you have this fourth chakra class that was all about breath and air and the heart." 
And there's always a strong connection like that. True. Now, let's talk about the challenge at hand, the feeling of being out of balance. For somebody new to this space, new to the chakra energies, what are some of the signs or hints that might suggest that a person's chakras might be out of balance? Well, out of balance can be actually any aspect of your life. It is physical, it is emotional, it is mental, it is spiritual. So, in fact, probably we're all out of balance, (laughs) just to be right. We're all out of balance to some degree. And one thing I do mention in this book, and I give tips for and clues to how to see, is that when you connect it with a body, that's one thing you can look at, these different seven segments of the body. If you are getting very common injuries in the same place, like you're always hurting your hands or your arms, the arms and the hands are extensions of the heart chakra. They come right from there. So you could see in yourself that, you know, I keep getting these injuries right in the same place. Maybe it's something my heart chakra is saying. Mm-hmm. Or if you are having heart issues, I mean, that's a, that's a real obvious one, right? If you have blood pressure stuff, right. things that go on with the heart itself, that could be your heart trying to tell you something. You know, if you have digestive issues, that can be from your the chakra that's in your abdomen, in the solar plexus. Digestive issues are very often mm-hmm. third chakra indicators. Absolutely. What I've heard is if you're in a crowded environment, in a social situation, many people around, and if you're not able to express yourself, you know, just not able to articulate or share what's in your mind that might be related to your throat chakra. Absolutely. Or if you're getting a sore throat, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> you get a lot of sore throats. If you can't speak through your voice because you're, you're have to clear it so much, right? There's something stuck in your Mm -hmm. throat, literally. Um, People talk about mind-body being a weird thing, like they make it sound like it's a kind of a weird mind-body, but I think it's very practical and common sense, the um, connections that if you have a sore throat, you need to speak, you need to express, you need to get that out. Mm -hmm. Now, taking this further, what are some of the causes or reasons why our chakra centers, energy centers get blocked in the first place? Is it just part of life or? I think we are all born, you know, as we're born with our unique karmas, our unique personalities, we're all born with slightly different little balances of chakras that are meant for our own personal balance and everything in our life will affect them. You were born this way and your parents are a different way and that will change your chakra balance. You then encounter different people in your school. You encounter your friends the things that happen to you. If you spend a lot of time in the sun, you might start to overexpose that solar chakra, the third chakra. Or if you never see the moon, you might have a miss of, of moon energy from the second chakra. Mm-hmm. Everything we do can get us in and out of it. It's very simple. And so that's why I said we don't ever need to try to find perfect balance because if you just want to get balance, you're just going to find yourself somewhere else. But an idea is to learn to kind of, um, actually, I use the word balancing the wheels as the title of my book because it's like if you're um, trying to balance a bicycle wheel and any of these complicated wheels, it's always going to be a little process of tinkering and you're not going to expect to ever find perfection. But, and in yoga, they use a term lila to describe the kind of dance of life. Things are always changing, growing, and being different. So you're, we learn to just dance with that mm-hmm. and not feel, you can Get yourself, if you really focus, like, all I'm going to do now is fix my second chakra and every single action I take is going to be about that. You're going to just use a hammer to be um, just trying to drive in a very small little problem. You'll get so second chakra obsessed, right? You're going to throw something else out of balance. So it's a yoga idea even of being of non-attachment, which is not being, you know, emotionally aloof. It's just meaning you can't get too hung up on it, right? You got to do it light touch, a very gentle little adjustment and let it go and move on to whatever adjustment needs to happen next. 
Wonderful. You mentioned that we're all born with some amount of balance or imbalance within our chakras, depending on what chakra it is. Yeah. And once we meet people, get exposed to the stimuli, these chakras might get further unbalanced or balanced. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because as you mentioned, uh, life is about that dance. It's about the change, right? It's about the ebb and flow, the expansion and compression. And that's part of life. But then we need to make or become more aware from time to time, make small changes to ensure that we're able to heal the chakras. But at the same time, we don't have so much of a focus on just one chakras that are other chakras get out of balance yes but then have a routine or a ritual by which all our chakras get balanced together and we feel in balance even though we know that we might get out of balance at some point but then because of our ritual because of our routine we're always getting back to that state of balance is that correct that's correct. Your particular ritual should be unique for you. That's, that's because, again, we're born with that unique combination. And you may find that in general, this is one area of your life where you just need a little bit more. You always want to do maybe your focus should be a little bit more pranayama and someone else's should be a little bit more of the asanas or someone else's is going to be their food that they eat. So you need to develop a sadhana or a practice that is balancing to you. Mm-hmm. Now, as you mentioned, let's talk about the solution now. What are some of the ways or techniques by which we can get our chakra energies in balance once again, just to get back to that balance, to that state of feeling good, you know, and and, uh, being able to perform as well? Well, it depends on which ones you want to work on, yeah. but there are hundreds of and a multitude of ways. And it's one I encourage people to really read and think about the symbolism of each one and find all everything they can about it, because then you have this great toolbox full of ideas. For example, the third chakra is the sun. It's ruled by the sun. It's ruled by our eyes and what we see. It's fire and it's this drive and ambition. So when you know that sort of thing, you know, if you know you need that energy, go spend some time in the sun, spend 10 minutes every day in the sun or by a fire or just use candles at home and look at your eyes and use the candle um, meditation to help your vision. You can use, as I said earlier, it's also because it's there in your belly. If you know that, you know, you can do things to help your digestion and change um Often people, if you have an imbalance there, you may have, find you've got lots of food allergies. So you can address your allergies and your food, or you can do it simply through core exercises. You can build, do a lot of the chaturangas and the navasana boat poses and make stronger core and you'll build up that energy. There's lots of things for that. You need to find out which read into and find these different levels of um, symbolism for your area you want to work on. Then you get to pick. Wonderful. So action takers, what we're doing right now is getting aware of the fact that the chakra system can help you heal. It's like a whole encyclopedia. You're obviously not going to get the whole encyclopedia right now. But once you know that this information is out there, once you have that information, what you really have is a range of tools and ideas and tips that can help you heal. For example, using nature, using water, using the sunlight, how can you heal yourself? And how by changing your food, maybe having different colored food, how can that you know stimulate or heal your chakras and of course as we've discussed before as well yoga the different poses of yoga the different thoughts and philosophies of yoga can help you heal so thanks a lot for sharing you're welcome 
Now, let's dive a bit deeper into yoga now. You've been practicing yoga ever since you were a child. You've got numerous certificates in various forms of yoga that I've noticed. You've also led a number of yoga retreats. What is the relationship between yoga and the chakras? If you can help us get a better idea of the relationship between the two. It's I briefly mentioned these seven segments of the body. It's such a useful thing. I'll go over it again. That The first chakra has legs and feet. The second chakra is our hips. The third is our core and our lower back. The fourth chakra is your being the heart center is your chest, your arms and your hands, also your upper back. Mm -hmm. Then fifth chakra is the shoulders, the throat and the jaw, all the aspects, also your ears, aspects of hearing and speaking. Sixth chakra is just the eyes and the third eye in the center. Mm -hmm. There's also glands like the pineal gland, but in the outside body is the eyes and Pituitary gland and crown of the head is the crown chakra. So you can specifically choose those poses that target those parts of the body. You can do lots of your arm balances and your arm strengtheners for the heart chakra and also back bends and forward bends. And you can do shoulder work and neck exercises for your fifth chakra. Mm -hmm. When I get to the eyes, I love to do balance work because then it's drishti. It's the gaze that gets you balanced at the sixth Mm -hmm. chakra. Seventh chakra, there are very few poses because it's a very small part of the body. Obviously, headstand comes to mind. Some people can't do it because they have, because it's not good for their neck. So other inversions, ones that, um, you know, maybe just putting your feet up against the wall can make a mild inversion if you've got a sore neck. But also even savasana and meditation are very obvious seventh chakra poses as well. And that makes a connection in, in that way. It's because we do get from the more physical to the more subtle as you move up the chakras. Wonderful. Now, Sarah, I started doing yoga when I was a kid because in school we had yoga classes mm-hmm. in addition to academics and you know physical training and things like that. But uh, at that point, my favorite yoga pose was Shavasana. And that was the first time I really got exposed to the mind-body connection because as the practitioner sort of guided us through the different parts of our body, mm. it was the first time I actually understood that if I brought my consciousness to my legs and imagined that it's relaxing... At some point, a couple of minutes down the line, after I relaxed my whole body, I couldn't really move them even if I wanted to. You know, so that was a beautiful concept. And uh, that sort of was a little seed that got planted into my life because I stopped doing yoga for many years after that. And then when I started, I picked up almost immediately because mm. it was stored deep in my mind. And just like when somebody drives a car and stops driving for many years, they can just pick it up once again. That's a wonderful story. And I find that to be true. I, I taught a yoga camp a couple summers ago to students and their favorite pose was Shavasana as well. It is a, um, it's an interesting pose because in some cases it's seen as the easiest pose, but many say it's the easiest to learn and actually the hardest to master. Mm-hmm. That um, it really is about this way of helping us find this deep relaxation that um, in our contemporary society it can is just something we're not accustomed to or it's not always easy to find that the real sense of letting go, surrendering to um, relaxation. That's so true. And as you hinted earlier, it's not about perfection, but the very fact that you're doing it in the first place means that you're healing, means that you are getting in tune with yourself and becoming more aware of your body. And actually, Degas, the literal meaning of shav asana means the pose of the dead. So, so to be perfect at shavasana, you probably mm. have to be dead. <laughs> Some people 
people are a little scared of it too. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, based on what you've shared, the chakra system is definitely worth learning about and understanding. Now, in order to take that first step in that direction, is there a quick and healthy, simple tip that you could share with our listeners that can help them keep their chakras in balance? A simple thing is to just take a yoga class for one. And that could be one way of doing a simple tip. Another is to start working on some mindfulness, doing a little bit of meditation or a little bit of paying breath awareness just so that um, you can start to feel the necessary awareness that'll start to get you to be able to feel which chakras in you need some help. Wonderful. We'll have that tip added in the show notes. Now, don't be afraid that your life will end. Be afraid that it will never begin. Mm. And this is a powerful quote by Grace Hansen. And while it's almost impossible to overcome the fear of death, as we've spoken about a while back, what really caught my attention in this quote is the phrase, be afraid that it will never begin. Action takers, we're all on this earth for a particular reason. And as we realize what that reason is, and as we head toward our vision, there are bound to be many obstacles and challenges along the way. So face them head on to avoid the regret of not fighting to achieve your God-given dreams. Because tomorrow is promised to no one. So Sarah, I'm sure that you faced numerous challenges and obstacles yourself. So take us back to a time when you faced a major challenge. Firstly, how did you approach that challenge and then how did you overcome it? I consider that one of the biggest challenges in my life was actually the birth of my first daughter, which of course was a very anxiously, eagerly awaited experience. But to my surprise, the uh, labor process was three, maybe even four days if you count the prodromal labor in the beginning. It was a very lengthy process that got stuck. She um, got almost out and then was stuck and had to end in an emergency C-section. She was fine. I was fine. Thank goodness for contemporary, you know, the ability to do that. But I was very shaken by the experience. And when my second daughter came around, I wanted to look at what had happened to me. Well, how did that happen? And how could I avoid that in the birth of my second child? And I looked at where I was when my first one was born. And I realized I had been very much focused on my work. And yoga had sort of fallen off the wayside. I wasn't doing it very much and just sort of expected things were going to be fine. So for my second daughter, I took prenatal yoga almost every day. I mean, I was very, very good about doing my prenatal yoga. And I uh, started meditating and relaxation and pranayama. I just did all these things with much more consciousness and much more dedication so that her birth was a matter of a few hours rather than days. It was just, she basically popped out. <laughs> and she was my little miracle child that made me realize how central the practice was to my life, that I couldn't take these things for granted. You know, having done it from a kid, you, I got to a point of being lazy and taking these things for granted. And I realized that you can't just like say, well, I used to do it, so that makes me fine. You have to keep your daily practice all the time. And I mean, you might be able to take a day off, but then you have to go right, right back. <laughs> and you must keep it up. Otherwise, you do not receive the benefits and the effects of the practice. And you can receive the benefits. And I do now receive the benefits when I do it regularly, all the time. If I do take a few days off because I want that vacation, I feel the effects. I don't feel as good. I don't feel as energetic. I don't feel as happy. So the practice is what makes it happen. Wonderful. So looking back now, what is that one major life lesson that our listeners can take away from your story? Do your practice. Even if it's just a tiny thing, make sure you do it every day, all the time. And that as easy and as hard as that is, 
is the most important thing. And I say it's easy because it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be six hours of meditating. It can be 20 minutes or 10 minutes, right? It can be small, but it's hard because you have to do it every time, Mm -hmm. all the time. You can't stop. So you shared that the birth of your first daughter, that was hard. The labor process was very long. It was painful. And you were really shaken from that process. But what stood out for me was you didn't just leave things up to chance, but you really introspected what is wrong with my lifestyle. And you realized that you were working a lot. You were working really hard. And you felt that that might have led to that particular challenge. But then you took action. You did a lot of prenatal yoga. You took measures to really be healthy. And the next labor process, the next child was just perfectly fine. So that's a lot of learning in that. And action takers, as we change our outlook on challenges, we're able to focus more of our energies on our life's calling and our purpose. And when you first look at your purpose, it might feel overwhelming. You might ask yourself, can I do this all by myself? And when you ask this question, remember that you are capable of creating miracles. But in order to do that, you must constantly maintain your strong life state, a life state that gets its strength from within not from outside, Mm. a life state that draws its energy from the sunshine of happiness that is always coming out of your own heart. Because as Maharishi Mahesh Yogi once said, life finds its purpose and fulfillment in the expansion of happiness. Mm. So my question to you, Sarah, is have you found your life's true calling? And if yes, what is your life's calling? I have found my life's calling. It is to blend the spiritual with the daily life. I've always had this spiritual calling in me. And sometimes I've even wondered, you know, if I love my spiritual practice so much, you know, it'd be so easy to just go onto a mountain or into a cave and, and do my practice as a monk or, you know, as a um, solo venture. And yet I chose to get married. I chose to live this life out in the world with everybody like we all do. So I, I, because I kind of feel like I've got this foot in each door and it's a little bit of a, um, I have to work to blend these two for myself all the time. I feel like my calling has been to share this with others, how to, we all can bring these two together. We all can have a spiritual life and a family and a work life. They say that that the householder's path is the most difficult. True. It's more difficult than going off and being the monk. <laughs> That's the easy way to have a spiritual practice. <laughs> so the calling is to make this something we all can do, that it is just small things. And if you do have a you know nine to five job and you're working all the time and you've got the family as well, you can still find that time and that space to bring the spirit in. It's always going to be a little dance about finding balance, like that Leela, the dance, so that that happens within our spiritual lives and our work lives. That's a dance as well. Wonderful. Now, it seems to me, in fact, I'm a Buddhist, but it seems to me that you are a bodhisattva because it's so easy Mm -hmm. to escape the challenges that are in front of us, escape the pressures that are in front of us and our obligations Mm. by escaping to the mountains or the Himalayas and starting to meditate. I would say nothing is easy, but that's just one aspect. But what's more challenging is to stay right here, just like a bodhisattva, and stay on that life's raft on the white waters and find ways to help you, but then also pull people who are currently in the white waters onto the raft so that you can help others in daily life too. And as one of our previous featured guests, Pedram Sojai, once said that fall seven, rise eight, life begins now. 
and he is the urban monk and it seems that you follow a similar lifestyle as well being here being now but at the same time helping people in their daily life so thanks for sharing you're welcome it was a pleasure to talk to you so was there ever a eureka moment in your life beyond which you were pretty confident that your life was about to change eureka moment in my life where i felt like things were going to change um when we all have these dark moments sometimes sometimes they get described in christianity as a um dark night of the soul mm-hmm. and yeah i experienced that some years back uh right before i did my yoga rework i mean i talked about the, the two children experience and there was a whole darkness too that in a self introspection that made me realize i had to make yoga central even as as a mother i had to still find a way of making yoga central to me and yeah i think it was just a um that was my candle out of the darkness mm-hmm. was was the the regular practice of yoga well thanks a lot for sharing I think that was really inspirational and that brings us to the final round of today's episode which is known as the wisdom round. Now this round is a rapid fire round that contains just four questions. Are you ready? Sure. As you dive into your memories, what is the best advice that someone's ever given you? Even if you have an outside guru, you must find and follow your internal guru as well. What is that one personal habit that contributes to your well-being? spending 10 minutes in the sun every day. So Sarah, what is your morning ritual like? What do you do for the first 2 hours after you wake up? Starting 5:30 a.m., I go out onto my porch in the dark and cold and do 30 minutes of energizing exercises. I do 30 minutes of pranayama and chanting, 30 minutes of meditation and 30 minutes in the sh- in the shower in my personal routine. I do 2 hours of personal practice. Wonderful. So name a book that has made a significant impact on your life that you would like to recommend for our listeners. I love my own book, but I also love um for even a little bit more esoteric than my book is Ayurveda and the Mind by Dr. David Frawley. It's a little hard to read if you're not already somewhat on the path, but it's worth it. You spend some time reading this and it's very deep deep stuff about chakras, yoga, a lot of philosophies. So action takers, the links, insights, key tips shared on the show can be found in the show notes which can be accessed by visiting my7chakras.com/91. That's my7chakras.com/91. All right, Sarah, before we end today's session, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for and also tell us the best way we can find you online. I'm deeply grateful for the beautiful community and nature I live in, the earth and mountains and the sea. And you can find me at my website www.sarahthomasgoulden.com. That's S A R A H T H O M A S G U L D E N.com. So there you go action takers. Today was another episode to really pick your interest expose you to some new topics new ideas and new tips today was all about the chakras and various practices that can really help you balance your chakras and also about yoga so especially in case you want to make that step towards learning more about the chakra systems then you know exactly which website to go to that's sarah thomas golden.com s a r a h t h o m a s g u l d e n.com we'll have the link in the show notes as well and especially if you are in the la area and you want to get a session of yoga done and meet sarah personally then you know which website to go to and reach out to sarah so sarah thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about the power of our chakras and taking us one giant leap closer to a human revolution it was a pleasure talking to you 
You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.